Today we're going to think about the glory and the grace of God in the flesh. All of this comes from John chapter 1. If you are able, I invite you to please stand and listen to the reading of God's holy word from John 1, verses, 18, uh, verses 1 to 18. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God, whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. The word of the Lord. May God add his blessings to the reading, the preaching, and the hearing of his word. And all the church says, Amen. May be seated. In the late 1990s, you might recall that a series of bulletin boards, billboard ads, began to appear along highways all across the nation. These billboards drew so much attention that the New York Times even ran a piece about this advertising phenomenon. Undoubtedly, all of you have seen at least one of these ads. It is a short one-line statement written in white letters across a solid black background, signed, God. Some of the ads read... What part of thou shalt not did you not understand? God. That love thy neighbor thing, I meant it. God. Big Bang Theory, you've got to be kidding. God. My way is the highway. God. You think it's hot here? God. Have you read my number one bestseller? There will be a test. God. I don't question your existence, God. And my personal favorite, don't make me come down there, God. 
And it's the phrase, don't make me come down there, that ties in with our sermon text today. It leads to one of the main points of the message this morning. The story of the Bible tells us that God often came down and came down here to see what his people were doing and how they were doing it. And as a result, people who knew that God often came down here got nervous when they imagined what might happen if God did in fact come down here. In the beginning, in the Garden of Eden, God came down to see Adam and Eve in the cool of the evening. And He found them naked and ashamed and hiding because of their sin. Later on, God came down to see how things were going on earth. And He was grieved over the total corruption of man. That every intention of the thoughts of His heart was only evil continually. Men were violent and shedding blood and they were corrupt on the earth. Later on, God came down to see the city and the tower that men were building. The children of man had built a tower to make a name for themselves. They were trying to establish a center that would keep them all together. Later on, God came down to see if the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah was as bad as he had heard. In those days, it seemed that every time God came down, he was coming down to unleash his wrath. He was coming down in anger. He was coming down to judge. But in the midst of all of that, there were times when God came down to reveal his grace And he mercifully walked through blood in order to cut covenant with his people. Covenant to say, I will bless you and keep you. I will make you my people. I will take care of you. In the time of the Exodus, God heard the cries of his people and he saw their need and he loved them. And so he came down in the form of a burning bush. And he called a man named Moses to go and deliver his people out of Egypt. Later on, God came down to those people who had been delivered. And he stood on a mountain and revealed his glory and spoke to his people and gave them his law. Once, Moses even asked God to show him his glory. So God answered by saying, no one can see me and live But then he came down on a mountain and he covered Moses' eyes and he revealed his glory to Moses by proclaiming his covenant name, the Lord, the Lord, gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in love. And later on, when God's people built a tabernacle, God came down. And he filled the tabernacle with the fiery cloud of his glorious presence. And he dwelled among his people. In those days, it seemed that almost every time God came down, he was unveiling his glory and his grace a little bit more. Fast forward a little bit to the time of the kings. The tabernacle, the tent, was replaced by a temple of stone and cedar. 
And on the day that that temple was dedicated, a cloud filled the house of the Lord so that the priest could not stand to minister because of the cloud. For the glory of the Lord came down and filled the house of the Lord. And so it was for many, many years that the glory of the Lord dwelled with his people in a temple in the form of fire and cloud. Sometimes God shouted to His people. Sometimes God whispered to them. But God revealed His glory to them little by little, day after day. But then something happened that should not have happened. Little by little, the glory faded in the hearts and minds of the people. They began to drift away from the Lord and they doubted His presence and denied His power and they disregarded His Word. So time and time again, God sent prophets to them. God came down and spoke to His people in the mouth of His prophets by His Holy Spirit. But the people resisted and they refused to heed heed the Word of God. They sinned and they fell short of God's glory. And so after many years of patience and long suffering, God finally gave the people exactly what they asked for. He gave them what they wanted. He left them alone. The glory of the Lord went up from the mercy seat in the temple and it went out to the threshold of the house and the house was filled with the cloud and the court was filled with the brightness of the glory of the Lord and the glory of the Lord went up from the midst of the city and stood on the mountain that is on the east side of the city. The glory that once came down to dwell with the people of God is now going up and going out and going away from them. But the prophets tell us that the glory did not go away back into heaven. The glory went away out into exile. You see, God went ahead of His people into exile east of Eden. And it was there that He waited for them. The prophets foretold that later on, after the people had suffered punishment for their rebellion, God would go ahead of them again, but this time into the West to lead them out of exile, to lead them all the way home into a new temple. Not a temple of stone and cedar, but a cosmic, dynamic and majestic temple. The point of all of these Old Testament stories is that the glory of God had come down to dwell with His people. And the glory of God came to stay. Well, not long after the glory of God departed, their capital city was invaded and the temple was burned up and torn down. In the years following the exile, the people returned and they rebuilt the temple. It was very small, made of stone and cedar again. But it was not at all the glorious temple that God had promised. Although the people had returned from exile physically, in many ways they were still in exile spiritually. They were still dead in their sins and they were still dwelling in darkness. Now what does all of that have to do with John 1, 1 through 18? 
The Gospel of John shows us that Jesus is the eternal Word of God. And that means that Jesus is the divine reason for everything in nature and in Scripture. Jesus is the prophetic Word who came to all the prophets. He is the wisdom by whom they spoke. He is the matter about which they spoke. He is the reason for which they spoke. Jesus is the creative Word by whom all things were made and without whom not one thing was made that was made. And Jesus is the redemptive Word who came into the world to bring dead things to life and to call dark things back into the light. So in John's Gospel, Jesus is depicted as the Word of God, the voice of the Lord. But not only that, He is depicted as the Word made flesh. Now we've been influenced by Greek philosophy more than we think we have. And we tend to think of things that are fleshly as things that are either bad or weak or less than good. We think of flesh as something that weakens or diminishes the glory of God. And yet here in this story, we see that the flesh is actually something that maximizes the glory of God and strengthens the glory of God to us. The flesh in this story is not something that covers and hides the glory of God as if flesh had the strength to do that. The flesh is actually something that manifests and reveals the glory of God to us. So the flesh actually makes God seem more real, not less real. More powerful, not less powerful. John is telling us that the reason the Word became flesh is so that God could get closer to us And so that we could get closer to God. And the reason the Word became flesh is so that Jesus could show us that God cares about us. That He loves us. That He's concerned about us holistically. In other words, He's concerned about us body and soul. Flesh and spirit. Jesus did not become less by taking on flesh. But nor did He become more. The flesh did not hinder Him. But it helped us understand who God is. Now the people had heard through the prophets and through those stories that I just related earlier, the people had heard that God was coming down into the world which He had made. They had heard that God was going to write Himself into His own story. But when He came down into the story of the world, the world did not recognize Him. When the Word became flesh and came to His own, His own people did not receive Him. So even though they'd heard all of these stories about Him, and even though they knew that He was coming and they had some idea of what God was like and some understanding of His glory and grace, when He showed up in the flesh, they were so confused. They were so confused. 
But why? It doesn't take much imagination to understand why they were confused, does it? I mean, you think about the fact that in previous manifestations of His glory, God had appeared as a fiery cloud or in a flaming bush. People had heard trumpet blasts or they had heard a voice speaking, sometimes even whispering to them. They were not allowed to have any form or image of God. They couldn't figure out who God was. They weren't to relate Him to anything in creation. So on the day that God enters into His own story, on the day that God shows up in the flesh, no one knows who He is. They don't recognize Him. God in the flesh was not what they expected. Glory and grace incarnate was not on their radar. It didn't fit their grid. It didn't match the profile. What you have here is a case of cosmic misunderstanding. A cosmic, uh, a case of, of, of cosmic mistaken identity. Now in a way, all of this makes sense to us. Again, in their past, God had revealed Himself in very elemental ways with strange displays of fire and wind and cloud. And they never saw the form of God. They only heard a voice. But now that voice has become flesh. The Word has taken on a body and God has become man. And that is the last thing that anyone in the story, anyone in the community expected to happen. So they did not recognize or receive Jesus as God in the flesh. In part because He looked so much like they did. He was sort of camouflaged among them. He looked like a regular Jewish man. So he blended in. He was the ultimate missionary embedded in a community. And no one could detect that he was actually an outsider who made himself an insider. There's nothing special about his appearance. He did not walk around with a halo. He did not glow in the dark. He did not have blonde hair and blue eyes in a culture where people are olive skinned with dark hair and dark eyes. There's nothing that distinguished him in his appearance. Nothing that would draw attention to him or make anyone think that he was special, much less divine. But there's another reason the people did not recognize or receive Jesus. They did not recognize or receive him because they were blind and they were deaf to the things of God. They were blind and they were deaf to the things of God. Again, although they had returned from exile physically, in many ways, they were still in exile spiritually. They were still dead in their sins and they were still dwelling in darkness. They were still a deeply religious people. They were still going to their small temple. They were still offering their sacrifices and raising up their prayers. They were going through all of the outward motions of their religion. But their hearts were still far from God. They couldn't see the glory of God or hear the voice of God in the prophets. When the Word became flesh and dwelt among them, they were still without light and without life in the world. 
Now again, all the stories leading up to this one show how God's glory was revealed in ethereal, abstract, and intangible ways. The glory of God was often heard or even seen from a distance, but it was rarely, if ever, beheld up close. And it was never, ever touched by human hands. But in this story, in John 1, the Word becomes flesh and dwells among us. It's very important you hear this, that the word dwell does not mean live or abide as someone would move into a house and live there. The word dwell is a verbal form of the word for tent. We might say it this way. He tented among us. He tabernacled among us. He became a tent dweller just like his people. So Jesus is the God-man who came and dwelt among us in a tent, in a body just like ours. Now what does it mean that Jesus came in the flesh? What does it mean that God became man? What does it mean that the Word became flesh? Well, here's, here's what it means in context of John 1 and in context of the Bible. What it means is that God has heard our cries. It means that God has come down to see us and to see how we're doing and not just what we're doing. And He's come down not to unleash His wrath, but to unveil His grace. The Word becomes flesh means that Jesus is the true and better Adam who was crowned with glory, who came to reveal to us the image and likeness of God. Jesus is the true and better firepot who came down to pass through blood and fire to save His people and so keep His covenant promises for them. Jesus is the true and better fiery cloud who leads us out of slavery, into freedom, out of death, into life. He is the true and better divine presence who came down to draw the whole world to worship God in spirit and in truth. Jesus is the true and better prophet who came full of grace and truth to show us what God is really like and what God will really do for those who trust Him. Jesus is the true and better temple who is filled with the glory of God. He is the embodiment of the cosmic, dynamic, and majestic temple that the prophets told the exiles about. Jesus is the true and better light who gives light to everyone who came into the world to rescue His people from darkness. He is the true and better life who came into the world to raise His people from the dead. Now again, the Word became flesh to get close to you. But not only that, the Word became flesh to get you close to God. So you don't have to worry about doing something to make God come down here. Because God has already come down here. God came near in the flesh. And this is good news. Among the many reasons it's good news, I want to point out a couple. Every other religion 
under the sun, every other religion in the world, teaches what you must do to go up to God. What you must do to get eternal life. And what you must do to gain ultimate blessings and rewards. Every other religion in the world teaches what you must do to get to God. But the Christian religion is the only religion in all of the world that teaches what God did to get to you. It's the only religion that teaches that God came down to get you. Not in the way you think, but He came down to get you because He loves you. And He came down to get you and give you the free gift of eternal life. The Word became flesh to dwell with us permanently and eternally and personally. And that is good news. So even if you are someone who does not yet recognize who Jesus is, you can rest assured that He recognizes you. He hears your cries. He sees your hardships. He loves you. He cares about you. He draws near to help you. And even if you do not yet receive Him, As God in the flesh. He's still willing to receive you. To welcome you into His temple. Into His presence. Into His glory and grace. Into His family. So on that day, when you finally receive Him, sooner or later, and we pray it sooner, On that day when you finally receive Him, when you believe in His name, you will know the truth. You will know the truth, and the truth is that He gave you the right to become the children of God. Not children born of blood, not children born of fleshly desires, not children born of man's desire or effort but true and better children who are born of God, born by the power of the Holy Spirit, born by the wisdom of the Gospel. The Word became flesh so that all God's people might be born again of the Spirit, which means that all God's people might be raised from the dead. And all of us who have been born again who have seen the glory of the one-of-a-kind Son of God, freely confess and openly confess that from the fullness of His glory, we have received grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. In other words, we have received exactly what He promised to give us. So when God came down in the person and work of Jesus Christ, He came down again not to unleash His wrath, as some suppose. He came down to unveil His grace and His truth. And over the next several months, we're going to explore that more and more fully. And we're going to see it embodied and fleshed out in our lives, in our world, but mainly in Christ. And so my hope and prayer is that 
you will center your hearts and minds on Jesus. If you don't recognize him, read the Gospel of John. Sit with people who will talk with you about the Gospel of John, who will point you to Jesus. If you've not yet received him by faith as your Lord and Savior, cry out to him. Ask him to reveal himself to you. Show you the way, the truth, and the life. And he will come to you in your time of need. This is our hope and prayer. And this is the gospel that we believe, that we embrace on this day. Let us pray together.